Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. I hope you are having a fantastic day. We are into September, and it's not quite fall running temperatures here in Kansas City, but temperatures are dropping, and we have the promise of beautiful fall weather for running. I love running in the fall with the leaves, the cooler temperatures, watching the leaves change color and fall, and anyway... I'm just really excited to be able to run in something that is not ultra high humidity and 100 degree temps. And if you're listening to this podcast, I bet you are in agreement with me. A question I've been pondering this week. If you had the opportunity to change nearly everything about your life, if your decisions would not impact anyone else in a negative way, how would you choose to live? Who would you spend your time with? How would you spend your time? What would you do for your job? How would you spend your money? And what would you do for fun? These questions loosely tie back to the topic of today's show. As many of you know, my youngest daughter is a senior in high school this year, so I've been thinking a lot about what life will look like as an empty nester. Sure, my home is always going to be a welcoming place for my kids to come land, for my family to land. But what else can or will change? Are there things that I would or should choose to do differently? I'm not asking this from a sad or depressed state at all, but more from a position of wonder and curiosity, thinking about things like, what else can I do with my life to make a difference in this world? And I don't have the answers this week. But I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. As always, you can share your feedback and comments in the social media posts for this episode. Send me a DM or email me at coachkim at thepowerofrun.com. My guests today are Greg and Beth Langston. For the last 20 years, Greg and Beth have empowered students to master their self-discovery, allowing them to successfully activate their life's purpose. Beth, who graduated from Purdue University in education, has guided hundreds of high school students worldwide to navigate the dreaded college applications essay process with tremendous success. Greg also graduated from Purdue's Craner School of Business. Greg pursued an international business career, which allowed him to mentor hundreds of young professionals while leading businesses over $1 billion and working in 65 countries. By the time their kids were 13, they had been to 12 schools and lived in five countries. We are so glad to have Beth and Greg here today. Welcome to the show, Greg and Beth. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you got started helping families get into college. Oh, gosh. Well, 
we started actually with our own children. <laughs> they were our guinea pigs. They were our guinea pigs, yes. So we actually raised our kids overseas. And so by the time our son was 13, he had been to 12 different schools in five different countries. Wow. So it was a great experience, though. You know, they learned foreign language. It was wonderful. And they learned to appreciate other cultures. Like when we lived in Singapore, the Singapore American School had 76 nationalities in K through 12. <laughs> so wow. it was like a little United Nations. And so it was a great educational experience. And as an educator, I was very involved. I have a degree in education from Purdue University. Greg has a degree in business, international business from Purdue also. That's where we met back in the day. And so as an educator, I was very involved in their school. Sometimes we had homeschooling, like in Australia, they're on a different school year. So we had to homeschool for part of it to prepare them for the rest. In Mexico, we had a school in our home for several other expatriate kids. And also in Mexico, the first time we lived there a couple times, our kids were the only English speakers in their school. So in the afternoon, they would come home and we would sit down to do homework for two to four hours with our Spanish English dictionary in one hand and their homework in the other and just have to plow through it. But they could do it. It was so great. We underestimate our children sometimes. But we knew that we wanted to get them back to the U.S. by late middle school, high school, so that they could start preparing for that college application process. And I realized it was a process these days because we wanted them to have opportunities for that self-discovery, to know themselves, opportunities to try out their strengths and their interests and learn their goals and their values and stuff. And so, and find their purpose, which is key. And we were very disappointed. We got here and nothing was going on. And Greg, on the other hand, as an international executive, was provided with hours of executive training and coaching to equip him with skills to be a great leader and a great team player. And he kept saying, why did I have to wait 20 years to learn all this stuff? And why aren't we teaching this to high schoolers? And so with his executive training and my educational training, we developed tools and started using them on our kids and they were successful. And then we started with their friends <laughs> and then it progressed to workshops in the area, which is what we've done basically for 20 years workshops. And now because of COVID, we've put it all online so more people can find it and get that clarity and confidence and control that we've seen other kids get. We love it. That is amazing. So what are some of the things that you feel like are key to teaching students? Because it doesn't sound like you're saying, oh, you're suddenly a senior and we're going to apply to colleges. You're talking about this starts years earlier. So if somebody had that kind of time, they're not a senior all of a sudden and rushing, <laughs> how would you lay that out so somebody could help prepare their child? Well, we always recommend, again, like you said, start early because if they have kids have a purpose, kids want to know what they do well. They want to know where they belong and they want to know how they can make a difference as we all do. But 87% of 16 to 29 year olds say they have no purpose or meaning. And so starting, we try to catch them early. The adults who listen to us and our podcast hosts are always saying, oh my gosh, could you do this for adults too, which <laughs> is our goal in the future. But our plan has always been to catch them early because they can benefit greater and not waste years in college 
trying to find what they do well and the right majors, right? Exactly. And so to answer your question, we typically uh, suggest starting freshman, sophomore year and doing that. And the way what Beth just described with young people not knowing what they're good at manifests itself in college because only 40% of college graduates graduate in four years. 60% of them graduate in six years. And the reason for that is because they're changing majors so many times, on average, at least three times. And so if you're going to a school that's $30,000 or you're going to an Ivy League school that's $80,000 and you add on an additional two years, that can be sixty dollars to $160,000 of education. Add to that that some people are not well suited after they go through the self-discovery, they probably shouldn't go to college. They might be best served being a pipe fitter or a welder or building construction, doing something else that really motivates them that they can earn a great living, but not waste the time and the money of going to a college because they thought it was the right thing to do. That makes a lot of sense. I actually was talking about this on a recent podcast episode. I was talking about how at the end of the school year, at least where we live, they make such a big deal of all the fanfare of celebrating the seniors and they have a senior signing ceremony. And it's all about what college or branch of the military you're going into. And people who are going to go to a junior college don't even feel like showing up. And if you're going to go to some kind of a trade school, it doesn't really celebrate you at all. And I really feel like that is misguided because not everybody needs to or should go to college. So true. And we wish they had the statistics more of, okay, of those kids who went, who stayed for one year, two years, who dropped out with debt? How are they going to pay that debt? Because they don't have a job. There's so many statistics that aren't out there and it's become a prestige thing. And the colleges are getting more expensive and they're not giving money back to these kids or or relieving their college debt, which is like 1.7 trillion trillion college debt these days. The fact is college is great for a bunch of people, but it's not necessarily the be all and end all. And the beauty of doing self-discovery, whether it's us or any other self-discovery that you do, is it allows a young person to figure out, this is what really jazzes me. I really like this and I can do this well and I can earn a good living doing this. And so there is a connotation that if you go to a trade school, that you are not going to earn a good living. My goodness, that I was talking with a gentleman yesterday we live in San Diego. It's not an inexpensive place. And he said, I just retired. And I just bought a new home. And I said, what did you do? He says, I was a pipe fitter. And he said, my kids didn't want to be a pipe fitter, but he says, it's a great living. And I was busy all the time. And so for some people, being a pipe fitter or a construction worker, or an electrician, a carpenter is a great vocation. And in fact, if you go to Europe and some of these other countries where they have very full and involved apprenticeship programs, mm-hmm. It's a very good thing to do. And I think that we would benefit by doing more of that in this country. So what is involved in the self-discovery process? Are you giving kids assessments? Are you exposing them to things? Like how, what does the process look like so that we come out of it closer to our time that we're going to start graduate from high school and be like, this is what I need to be. In a nutshell, it's a three-phase process. It's all video-based. It takes about 12 hours to complete with a workbook, with an integrated workbook. It's mobile optimized 
and the videos are on average two and a half minutes long. And that's where my experience as a C-suite executive running a billion dollar business in 65 countries, you can go and make a big presentation, but Beth says, listen, your students are only going to pay attention for two and a half minutes. So you need to focus that information and provide it in very finite bite-sized pieces so that they can go from the video to the workbook, to the next video, to the next video, to the next video. And in that fashion, they go through in 12 hours, they can complete a three-phase process. The first is the discovery where they start with, and we think it's very important that you start with your core values and core beliefs because those are not being taught in anywhere. With the rare exception, some families are, are sharing their family's values. And many of the kids will get them by osmosis because they'll say, well, this is what we do as a family. But what we encourage the student to do is to identify what their own core values are. And why is that important? Let me give you and your audience a, a visual. If you imagine a big oak tree with a very strong root system and it's a cutaway. So you see the root system into the ground. The root system are your values. And the root system is what holds up the tree, just like the trunk of the tree in our case would be your purpose or your why. And the branches of the tree that are resting on top of the trunk that are held up by the values or the roots are your goals and your objectives. And so you kind of see the, continu the continuity of the tree. And so everybody is going to be challenged in life by having storms that are going to come at them, that are going to try and push over the tree or going to challenge your values or going to challenge your root system. If you have a strong root system or strong values, you'll be able to make decisions based upon those. And we teach a young person how to figure out and go through a gating process to make sure that it passes muster when they're making a decision, when they're not with their parents, when they're by themselves, and will they make a decision that supports their values or not? And so we think that's very important. And so they start with, they start with that. Does that make sense? It does. And so then, Additionally to that, what they do is they go through an assessment where they get a 360 assessment where they pick an accountability partner because accountability partners are extremely important. Just like you are when you're a coach to a, to a student or you're training somebody to do a 5K or a, a marathon or something, you're there to make sure that they fulfill their objective. If you just write down a goal, the likelihood of success is pretty good. If you share with people to say, I'm going to run a 5k or I'm going to lose five pounds, the likelihood of success is 65% because you vocalized it. If you pick an accountability partner, it goes up to 95%. So that's why we have that as part and parcel to our program. The student picks eight different trusted advisors, whether it be their parents, whether it be a favorite tutor, a coach, if they're working somebody else or another relative that will give them feedback to say, this is what you do really well. This is what you don't do so well. This is how you add value to other people so that you have a perception of what you're doing and doing well and not doing well. And these are the most, each person gives three either vocations or majors that they think they would be best suited to study. And so the student gets back 200 data points of information from people that they, that trust them and that they trust and that they care about to say, this is a picture of you and what you should do, which is much more compelling than just filling out a questionnaire, which a lot of schools do. And so not to disparage the questionnaires, but this gives a much more holistic, comprehensive uh, review. Then they go through and take an assessment, a Colby Conative assessment, which determines how they solve problems. 
And that's really pretty unique because it tells you how do you go about approaching a challenge and how do you think it through? How do you present it and so forth? So armed with all that information, they then determine what their distinct natural ability is, their DNA, because notice the distinct natural ability in DNA. I like that. The fact is most young people don't know what they're really good at. Right. And so if you can take all the learning that they have, their values, their strengths, their goals, and you put that together in their problem solving skills into a paragraph, then when a student is faced with a problem at school or at work, they know this is what I, this is my wheelhouse. I do this really well. And so I can volunteer for this activity. Whereas if I know that I'm not a good public speaker, I shouldn't volunteer to present. And so <laughs> what this does is this gives them clarity and a sense of confidence of what they do, which then leads to their purpose statement and then setting up aspirational goals. So all of that is the discovery phase. Phase one. Phase one. <laughs> wow. And again, all this goes through and it's all layered on top of each other. They then determine what they're going to do with that. They say, okay, based upon these aspirational goals in the areas of health, wealth, wisdom, and relationship, what are my five-year goals? What are my one-year goals? What actions am I going to take? And what bad habits am I going to eliminate? And what's interesting is invariably, the young people say two bad habits, too much social media and not enough sleep. And this is coming from the kids. And so then what they do is armed with all that information, then they pick their college major or their vocation or what career. And you can see, and hopefully your audience can hear, you've done a lot of discovery already mm -hmm. to be able to make a determination that it's much healthier, it's much more comprehensive, it's much more fact-based than taking a quiz or taking an assessment on its own. And so then what you do is you take that information and you create your own elevator speech because you're gonna be interviewing with people for a college advisor and you wanna be able to have a 150 word or one minute speech that you have memorized that you're very comfortable in sharing to say, this is who I am, this is what makes me special, this is why your university or you as an employer should hire me. And then all that information gets captured into a summary document because Kim, you have children of your own, how many times would you ask your kids tell me about school or tell me about that program. How was it? And they go, it was fine. <laughs> or they don't even answer. And so what we made part and parcel to this program is that they have to take all their information in their workbook and they put together a 14 page summary document that they then present to their parents and their accountability partner. And the parents receive a son or daughter saying, mom and dad, these are my values. This is why they're important to me. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. This is my distinct natural ability. This is my purpose statement. These are the things that I'm going to do for the rest of my life in health, wealth, wisdom, and relationship. These are my five-year goals, my one-year goal. These are the majors I'm going to choose. Here's my elevator speech, and I want you to be part and parcel to that program. And I'm going to incorporate all that into my application essays. And parents are universally blown away. It's the best part of it, really, to see, to be part of that meeting and to see the transformation that has taken place in these young people and that like the clarity in knowing their values and strengths and weaknesses and purpose and major and the confidence that they gain in clearly 
understanding and articulating what makes them unique and, and that they progress through an application process where they can use this in their essays, or if they're not applying to college, they use it in job interviews. And those are always great results too. And then they also have this sense of control that a little bit more about their future because they have actionable plans and goals that they can put into practice. Yeah, this seems to me that it would be a tremendous gift for your mm-hmm. child to be able to graduate from high school and have that much self-awareness. So true. So true. It would be a huge head start, it seems like to me. Yes. And you know what? Really, we don't understand why they're not doing this in high school right now. Right. Year. And we're in talks with some of our area high school systems here, right? Exactly. I'm uh, speaking with the executive director of the school system here in San Diego, which is a, a very influential school district, and presented to this gentleman a couple of weeks ago. And he said, in my 38 years of teaching, I have never seen anything that's this comprehensive that takes the buzzword is SEL, social emotional learning, in terms of understanding who you are, what you are, how you add value to others, how you goal set, and so forth and put that into practice in coordination with the parents and the teachers and the students. He said, this is absolutely fantastic. And so that's really encouraging. And this is what we want to do. This is what we're focused on doing because it works. And we've been doing it for 20 years. Now with it being online, it allows us to do it with people around the world. In a couple of hours, I have a young man who's in Bogota, Colombia, that I'm going through the process with. And I meet with him once a week to see what the progress is that he's been making as he goes through this process. I love this. So what do you think the biggest challenges are that families are facing right now when it comes to the college application, college admissions process? That's a great question. And the number one thing I think is that they feel that the high school is going to take care of it for them, that the college counselor there is going to walk their student, their child through the process. But the average amount of students to college counselors in the U.S. is 424 to 1. And they recommend about 200 to 1. Here in California, we have 900 to 1. So there's no way that they can give all these students the individual attention they need to get a great college application out there. Also, another thing that happens is they start working on their essays a little bit too late (laughs) because it takes a long time to improve and proofread and get that idea out there or change your mind. And a lot of schools have supplemental essays. People don't realize that. It's not just that 650 word personal statement. The supplemental essays are there too. And they all have to be handed in and done well and done in the student's voice, not the parent's voice or whoever else is out there helping them. And the other thing is, A lot of students think they can do it themselves, and I would recommend getting help. I had a, oh, this wonderful uh, East Indian student, and she was so qualified to to do everything, but she didn't want any help with her essay. So by the time she got to me to help her with her essay, she was doing essays for the schools that had her on the wait list. A wait list is not a bad thing, but if you're put on a wait list, you have to then write another essay that says, what have you been doing since you first applied for us four months ago? And so I was helping her with that essay. I said, will you please show me what you submitted to them? And what she submitted in the first paragraph, there were errors. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that could have been 
such a catch. We could have caught that right away because the college admissions officers only have like eight to 12 minutes per applicant to decide to put them in their yay or nay pile. And then they have their pile and they go in front of a board and try to support each student. So that's why those admissions essays, we have to catch them in the beginning. They may not even read the whole essay. Sometimes I don't think they have time to read all those essays. So to catch them in the beginning of these essays is important. And what else do you think? I think they don't do enough Mm -hmm. self-discovery as we described, which was the genesis for us creating the program. And schools don't provide it. Families don't provide it. Families think the schools are going to do that. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s and 40s that I was getting more and more of this training that Beth mentioned earlier. And we say, why why can't young people get this? And so that's why we put this into the program. And what it does, not only does it give the student clarity in terms of what they're going to do, but it also turns into dollars and cents. Because if the student can avoid... $50,000 Fifty to one hundred eighty thousand dollars, one hundred sixty thousand dollars worth of debt, or no, not go to college at all, and save even more money. That's a tremendous blessing. I mean, that is really a great return on investment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking when you were talking, Beth, about the essays and the mistakes. A couple of years ago, a friend asked me to be somebody who helped choose the winner or the recipient of a scholarship, and so I read. I don't know, dozens of essays that she had narrowed down as being the best. Mm -hmm. And it just made my eyes glaze over. These were smart kids. They were Mm -hmm. supposed to be high achievers and they were horrible. The writing was bad. There were typos, just grammatical errors. There was no flow. I mean, it was just, I was like, oh my gosh. I know. And that like, all can who, be alleviated with a little who help. Who told you that you could turn in a first draft? Yeah. Because that's what it looked right? like to me. So true. So true. And to be able to hand in a product of excellence is rare in this world, I think. And so teaching them that early that it's important to do the best you can and get help, get help. Don't rely on your own self to do it. It's okay to ask for help. And if you don't know how to do it yet, you will soon, you know? Yeah. And I think that's important too, because I think a lot of your high achievers are used to, oh, I can do this. I know how to write, but (laughs) there's something different that they're looking for in an admissions essay. Can you talk a little bit about some of those pieces are? Yes. It is not your English class essay, which is what I get a lot. My, the first drafts that come Mm -hmm. to me, I get a lot of those. And really in the college application essay, they're looking for what makes you unique. Tell us about you. Dig deep. They don't want a smattering of everything that you've done in your career, in your high school career. They want to know more specific about you. Dig deep. Your purpose. Why? How did that change you? How did it change the people around you? What you went through? What are you going to do with that in your future? College admissions offices are looking for students who who know who they are and can hit the ground running when they get to their university and contribute positively on campus, graduate with honors, and go out and do well in their careers to reflect well on the university and to give back and come back and mentor. So that's what they're looking for. And the three most important qualities that the admissions officers are looking for, of course, are number one, academic success, right? GPA, standardized test scores, and your quality of your curriculum. 
The next one is extracurricular accomplishments, which they're looking for in-depth community projects, leadership positions in those projects, commitment to an activity. They don't necessarily want a well-rounded student. They want a well-rounded student body. So they're looking for people that can fill these holes, these places that they're looking for. And that's somebody who, even an entrepreneurial spirit, they love that. We had guys that during COVID in their neighborhood, they did a food drive for all those kids who usually get their food at school and they were having to stay home and learn at home. And so they took it and took everybody wanted to contribute to this. And they go around their little golf cart, pick up all this food, take it to the agency that would deliver it to these people. And then they did it again at Thanksgiving. And it was great. It just took a little extra effort and thinking about what's good for your community. But the number three thing that they're looking for besides academic success extracurricular accomplishments is self-awareness and a plan for your future. They want kids that know their values, their purpose, their strengths, weaknesses, their natural inclinations, and that they have a goal and a plan for their future, which is rare. So many of my kids that I get, they don't know what they want to study in school or if they even want to go to school or should they take a gap year. And so we work through a lot of that too. Wow. And am I right that you don't need to tell a story about how awesome you are or the time that you did all this big, amazing thing that part of what they're looking for is maybe what you learned as a result of a failure or something that didn't quite go as planned? Yes. Oh, they love to hear about that and how you used your failure to improve and learn and move on. You know, they love those kind of stories. They don't want to hear about anything that's in another part of your application. They don't want to repeat of all the great things you've done, unless it's an unusual case, like some overseas experience that you had that really impacted you or some unusual that might be listed there, but not totally explained. And so I help them go not just to an explanation mode, but to the application mode and the vision that how they're going to use that when they get on campus or wherever they're going next. And is there anything different that since we're, we've been in the pandemic, since the school model changed last year, since some schools aren't even looking at test scores anymore, is there anything different that students need to consider this year as they apply to colleges? The curriculum rigor, because they say, oh, well, you don't test scores optional. The school still has to figure out, is this a a good applicant or not? And some students think, I don't have to take a test. But then what they're going to do is if they go and say, okay, you want to study medicine and let me look at your grades. And you were getting C's and, and D's in chemistry and biology in your curriculum. And by the way, it wasn't very advanced. Even though you didn't take the, uh, the test, your transcript shows the grades that you got and the rigor of your curriculum. So that's a myth that people don't realize can hurt them. Yeah, I've been sitting there wondering, because I have one that will be going to college next year who is a very high achiever, has great grades, has great test scores. And I'm like, well, wait a second. If we're not looking at test scores anymore, how does she prove that how amazing she is? Because she's <laughs> going to be a catch. Saying as her mother, of course, but so uh, of course. Like, we have that kid. <laughs> exactly. And so that's where they have to, I tell them, uh, make sure that you promote yourself in all of life. We need to promote ourselves. 
depending what we're pursuing. And so tell your story. That's where the elevator speech that we teach comes in handy because they can have it on the tip of their tongue. We recommend asking for interviews also because then they can get to know you. Call and say, I'd like an interview with somebody in my area that represents your school. If not, I can do it over the phone or via Zoom, depending what the regulations are with COVID right now. So that's a key thing. Call that admissions office with an intelligent question because they're going to remember, oh yeah, Max called and he had this question about something that meant something to him. Also, you have to write, usually we call it the Y pen application, which many colleges ask, why do you want to come to our university? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't just have generic answers. You have to research and find out what classes you're going to be taking? Who are those professors? What did they add to? Why do you want to be under them? What are the extra labs you can take? What are the things you can participate in in the community? All these things, that has to be in those essays so they see that the student has a dedicated interest in that university, not just a generic answer. And then <laughs> you have to make sure you get the right university name in all of your essays in case you're, oh gosh, can you imagine going to UCLA and saying, I can't wait to be a Buckeye? <laughs> yes, because doesn't everybody just copy and paste and do a find and replace? Right. And, and in the copy questions. and paste also, that's another thing. They'll only take the block format and you have to make sure that you have two spaces between your paragraphs because otherwise it looks like just one big essay. And some people don't get told that. Ah, there's just so much to know about it if you haven't been through it the first time. Yeah, such amazing tips. These are all so, so helpful. And I'm just, I feel like this is amazing timing for my family Yay. that I'm talking to you. <laughs> Any other tips that people should follow to get noticed by college admissions advisors? Well, a tip or something that I want people to really focus on is not to measure themselves by their social media feed. That is something that is really, really challenging. And what we find is that students, they kind of put their brains in neutral and just scroll through their social media feed and they're measuring themselves against everybody else's accomplishments. And when you really need to measure yourself against your own accomplishments and, you know, perfection is not real, can't be attained. It's a mental construct. It's kind of like flying towards the horizon. The closer you get to the horizon, the further away it goes. And these influencers are making people think, well, you need to be like me or you need to be like so-and-so. And the fact is, it is not helping them succeed. And so we teach young people that measure yourself against what you accomplished yesterday relative to your health, your wealth, your wisdom, and your relationships. Don't measure yourself against that social media feed and it will be healthier for you. And there are a lot of great social media feeds that are promoting positive things. And that's great. I love that. And they're real, more real, right? But I want to tell the audience also that the students need to check their social media posts because you can bet the universities will. If they're down to a couple people and, well, let's just check on their Instagram or whatever, you better be sure that everything on there is very decent, above board, nothing questionable. So people don't even realize that, I don't think. Yeah, another great tip. Okay, so you guys offer a lot of services for people who are at various stages of this process. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about 
what you offer and how they can work with you? Yes. Right now we're in the throes of the essay editing process. So please look me up and you can find me at Beth at collegeflightplan.com and Greg, he's at Greg at collegeflightplan.com. Go ahead, Greg. Absolutely. And our website obviously is collegeflightplan.com. And for your audience, we have the self-discovery process and the essay process that Beth was mentioning. You can get a, a giveaway that we've provided, which is collegeflightplan.com slash guide. And uh, what that includes are some important statistics. It has information, the top five early actions that families should take when going through this process. Don't wait till you're a senior. Some free assessments we recommend, ACT, SAT prep information, some scholarship and cost resources that can save a ton of money. And that's at the guide link that I just mentioned. And also I have an ebook on our site about uh, writing compelling application essays, which walks a student right through the process if they don't want to deal with a human on the other end, they can get that book and uh, it'll help them walk through. And I think it includes an hour of my essay editing time too. Awesome. Well, this has been so, so helpful. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.